Welcome to Day One Patch Podcast, Episode Three One Two. I'm your host Ryan Johnson. Uh, with me today, Tim Spence. Hello, Matt Lawrence. What's up? And no one else. I was oh, trying to no think of else? a witty response to three one two because I was thinking three two one, but that's just that's just not right. So uh, we'll be there soon. We'll be yeah. at three two one pretty soon. I had a friend growing up whose street address was three one two. Hmm. And like. As a kid, I would always look at that number and be like, haha, if just the number was shifted over one, it would be one, two, three, or some shit like that. <laughs> you should have went and like painted over it, <laughs> and then nothing would be delivered at their house. That would be terrible. <laughs> be awful. That's like that Trailer Park Boys skit when they like call the cops and they like just switch the, the dress around and they have like a warrant to search, but they're just like, what the hell are you talking about? This is like a different street or whatever. Like, this is not the right road. And they just, they just go with it. They just don't care. <laughs> There's so much shit in that show that people, like, that would never fly in the real world. But never everyone, at all. <laughs> everyone in that show is just so stupid that they're just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah this is six Maplewood Drive or whatever. And it's like, oh, I, oh, I guess our GPS is wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> all right. Some of our top stories this week include Bethesda Boss saying it's hard to imagine Elder Scrolls 6 being Xbox exclusive. Adding more confusion. I was going to say, hard to uh, imagine it being finished. I mean, yeah. Technically, 76 ain't finished, if you think about it. Oof. Oh. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077, speaking of unfinished, uh, may be delayed. <laughs> <laughs> or is delayed, rather. Not maybe. It is delayed. But uh, possibly due to the PS4 and Xbox One versions. Also, another delay here. Far Cry 6 and Rainbow Six Quarantine, which I find is a crazy oh. ironic name. Oh, no. Uh, has been delayed until uh, Ubisoft's 2021 fiscal year. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of another delay with Halo Infinite, but microtransactions uh, have been a concern and uh, actually prompted a response from Microsoft. AMD announced brand new graphics cards to rival the new NVIDIA cards. And then finally, Sony has uh, revamped their PlayStation app, which uh, have you guys got it yet? Has nope. the Android version come out yet? Nope. No, I think it's uh, iOS only right now. That's so weird. All right. Uh, we'll start off with what's new. Tim Spence, what's new with you? What is new? Um, I uh, I've been playing a lot of Dragon Age two on stream, which is cool because I never played a Dragon Age game before. You started um, on two. I started on two. Yeah, I have I have Origins. I bought it like I don't even know. Probably it's really almost, old though. Old, almost ten years ago, I probably bought it. Um, mm-hmm. because actually Dylan recommended it because he'd been playing it. He was like, "Yeah, you like medieval RPGs." And I, I think he had already played, like, Mass Effect by that point, and I haven't played Mass Effect because I don't really like sci-fi as a genre. Huh. Um, and uh, so I was playing it, and I was like, this just really doesn't seem like it's for me. Like, it, it's it's kind of aged and whatever. And I played it, I don't know, five or six years ago. And I was like, this isn't for me. And then I was streaming, and then I was telling people that I had never played a Dragon Age game before, so somebody from my from my stream gifted me Dragon Age 2. Um, and so I, I had just finished playing, um, when did I just finish playing some smaller game, uh, more indie. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like it's a good time to jump into something like a bit bigger can stick my teeth into. So I started playing Dragon Age 2 and I really like it actually. I thought I went into it kind of thinking I wouldn't because I didn't like Origins. Um, and they were like, yeah, like we know, we know like the story really well. So if you have any questions about like what's going on in, in 2, you can just like ask us and be like, oh yeah, this is what happened in Origins. It's like, oh, okay, cool. 
Um, Vastly so yeah. different games, though. Yeah. They play completely differently. Yeah, so I've heard. And then, um, you know, what's funny, actually, is <clears throat> when I back when I had my Xbox One, which was a while ago as well, I actually had, I got a free copy of um, uh, Inquisition. Mm-hmm. And I played it a little bit, but Kayla actually played it a lot more than I did. And uh, we we just went like months without playing it. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to get rid of everything here. So I just thought to <laughs> just stop playing it. Um, but yeah, two is good. It's really interesting. Um, it's there's lots, even though it's a little bit older, because I think two came out in like 2011. Um, there's lots of neat little things in it, like the way your your party's organized dictates like what interactions you have and stuff like that you can only do certain quests if you have certain people in your in your in your party not your inventory um and and little things like that it's it's really cool um especially for like a game that came out the same year as skyrim that was cool in some ways but also had like a lot lacking in it for an open world rpg um it's really cool to see the different ways that different companies address the same genre because you get little differences like that which is why competition is a good thing. Um, but other than that, I've been I was going hard on Ghost of Tsushima because I was trying to get the um, the platinum. So I finally got the platinum on the base game of Ghost of Tsushima two nights ago, and I've been working away at New Game Plus as well as Legends mode, which oh it's just so good. Like I could just play that game forever. I know I said that about like Monster Hunter World, and I played that game for like two years probably, um, and I've kind of gotten my fill, but. Ghost of Tsushima right now is like that game for me where it's like I can just always I can always be playing it. It's got such like a like the gameplay itself is just so fun and like the characters are so good and the story's so good you can literally just like run around and do you know an entire huge checklist. And I think there were certain sections where I left the game kind of running in the background like for the day or whatever if Kayla and I went out to you know do chores or make dinner or something like that. Um, but my final playtime on my platinum file was like 95 hours. Oh my god! Which is quite long, and I didn't even realize that it had taken that long because I looked up on uh, how long to beat as well, and uh, 100% the time said on average about 56 hours. Mm-hmm. But I did spend a lot of time like running around in areas, taking photos, just going and like fighting Mongols for the fun of it and stuff. How often did you switch up your armor? I found that like I I would find when I really liked. And I just I just kind of wore that for the rest of the game. In the beginning, I was doing that, but then when it got to the end, and there was like different types of missions, like there's like the stealth missions, and then there's the missions where you're just fighting like huge battles and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it, it depended on the context. Um, but I have like, and then since they did the legends update, they also added some new features to the campaign where like you you mm. can um you can make like armor sets basically. And outfits, like different outfits. And you can tailor your like aesthetic and your charms to like different sets. And you can opt to have that setting on or off. Um but I yeah, so I, I set up like different charms per armor set and different aesthetics per armor set. So like if I'm in the middle of a fight and then all of a sudden I've cleared out like this section of the camp, but there's still you know, another half of this Mongol camp to clear out, but I want to do the second half stealthily, then I just go to my gear, swap to the ghost outfit, and then all my charms that I've already pre-selected to be for stealth are already automatically equipped, and then I can just get back into the game and do it that way. So it's really handy that way. Um, 
it's funny because at the beginning I, I wasn't doing that at all. Like it was purely about, um, sticking with like finding one that I liked, finding one aesthetic I liked and just sticking with it, like using it as a catch all. But then towards the end when I was like trying to clear up like every area and hundred percent and stuff and find collectibles and things, then I found myself swapping between like the, the, the traveler's outfit and the, um, and then like the Sakai armor and then the ghost armor and the Mongol armor and, you know, et cetera. Obvious spoilers for ghost of Tsushima. Um, (laughs) there are some outfits that you get later, like late in the game. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. I know I talked a little bit with Matt. He said that he just like rushed the end of that game to avoid spoilers. I managed to avoid like everything for that game. I don't know how, but I managed to avoid every spoiler. Um, given that that game came out like so long ago now, (laughs) but yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Like I, I keep telling people if there's a, if there's a, if you have a PlayStation and there's one game that you should play on it, it's Ghost of Tsushima. It's just so good. Matt, how about you? Uh, so I I uh, I beat Ghost of Tsushima actually. Um, <laughs> I did a. Boy, I heard that game's good. What'd you think? <laughs> uh, pretty good, pretty good. I hope you play it one day, Tim. Um, I, thought you, I thought you were gonna say, ah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it it was really fun. Uh, I did so my game my playthrough was a little a little weird. So I went through the first act really slow. I kind of did a lot of exploring, a lot of photo mode, a lot of those type of things. I then did Act Two. About half of it, maybe, yeah, I'd say around half about, of Act 2 the same way. A lot of exploring, a lot of, you know, skipping skipping out on uh, story missions to, like, you know, go and do a side mission that day or something instead of doing a story mission that, on that particular play session that I was on. Those type of things. But then I just kind of reached a point where, I, this was before we knew about how save data worked with PS4 and PS5. And I was looking through my list the one night, and I just thought, man, like if there's one game I'm not going to restart, it's Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> like, if my save at that point, this was like well over a month ago now, but it's if it if it could not transfer my save, I'm not keeping my PlayStation Four like on the shelf just for just for Ghost of Tsushima, and I'm not restarting it basically. So I decided I was just going to get through it, and that's what I did. Um, did one long play session, took a long, and then I took like a bit of a hiatus uh, for whatever reason. I don't even know why. And then I just decided I was like, okay, you know what? I'm I'm gonna beat this. So I did the last mission, or did last couple of missions of Act Two pretty quickly. Had that little bit of a hiatus, like a week or two, and then decided last week into this week that I was just gonna finish it. So I finished the last mission of Act Two, finished all of Act Three, and I actually did all of Act Three in one sitting. I just decided I was like, you know what? I'm done with this game. I just I don't want to, um I like, I want to finish this game. I want the check mark. Because one of the weird things about Ghost of Tsushima for me is personally I always find that the story is the thing that keeps me there. So I will always say like, "Oh, I'll come back to the side stuff and rarely ever will." But I actually found the story to be really good and everything, and no complaints that way, but I really I found the story to be a distraction to me running around sort of looking at stuff, doing photo mode. And doing the side missions uh, and finding people and doing the tales. I really enjoy the tales and that type of thing. And I really enjoy the like the landscape and how dynamic and how different it is from region to region and even area to area in the same region. Um, so that was one of the things that I, I just found the story to be a distraction from that. So I beat it now. Uh, you know, small spoilers. Obviously, I have a bunch of outfits and that type of thing. And it's a modern like open world game. So I'm able to like continue to play it and or do a new game plus. 
So I'm just going to kind of run around now. I'm just going to have fun with it. I'm just going to run around, do a little bit of photo mode and stuff. Probably do that on the PS5, I would say. Because I want to see how it looks and runs and stuff like that. Uh, but on there, of course. But I had a really good time. Uh, I thought the story ended well. But I thought it maybe overstayed its welcome by a mission or two. That could have been because I did rush, like I said, that, that third act. So maybe it was just a little bit of, of that. But... At the end of the day, I think it's a really, really fun experience, really good game. Uh, I do, however, see some people's complaints. I saw some people just on social complaining, saying how, you know, it's good and everything. Like, it's nothing wrong with it. But it was just a matter of it of it being a question of why why is this game being getting so much praise? I will say there's a level of that for sure for me. Like, there's a lot of stuff to praise, but it isn't like a huge revolutionary game. But it is a very well done game like I'm not complaining about it it's just I don't think it pushed a bar forward if which is probably what those people were specific specifically looking for maybe in photo mode like photo mode probably pushed the bar forward but other than that in terms of like gameplay and stuff like it's really good but I just don't think it pushed too far yeah, but I, mode, I really enjoyed definitely. it myself what's that photo mode definitely if there was an award for photo modes I mean goddamn. it's just really like it's just a really solid game it it knows what it is and it does that very well yeah, that's a good way to put super, it. It's super polished. And the, like, the so, I remember, I think it was Ryan and I talking about this. I don't know if it was on the show or not, but when the game first came out, it was like mm-hmm. how the game looks beautiful, looks really nice and all that, but there are definitely areas where a game doesn't look its greatest, and it's because it doesn't really push the graphical bar forward, in, in, in my experience, or as an outsider looking into the game development world. But what I do find is that it sort of covers that up a bit by being really stylized. And that style is actually played into the photo mode. So obviously, there's not going to be that many leaves all over the place and that active of grass sort of blowing in the wind like as actively as it is. But yet, it's all over the place. But that really lends itself to the photo mode. And then it, it really lends itself to a style. So it's almost like the game knew, like you're saying, a game knows its identity. It knows that it, you know, it looks good. It looks like a next, like a, a current gen title, PS4 title, but it doesn't look, you know, amazing, amazing, amazing. So really, the, the, what? That surprises me because if there's one thing that I think I would remark on about that game is how good it looks, and not only how good it looks, but how run, how well it runs on the PS4. Like I think a it runs really though. well. I think there's a difference, though, between what Matt was saying, a stylized look of a game, and something that's going for more realism, like The Last of Us Part Two. I don't think that it's that stylized. I got the impression... Maybe the the colors are a little more, like, saturated. Right. Like, it's not as, like, gritty as something like The Last of Us. But I think that the character models look as good in Ghost of Tsushima as they do in Last of Us. Last of Us Part Two like that's interesting it's a very like especially now because i moved my playstation from my office to the bedroom because we're kind of going on like a bit of a vacation um next week um and i don't have like a 4k like display in here but i have the 4k tv with like the hdr and stuff in the bedroom so i moved it in there so i could like work away at my new game plus file just kind of passively um and I wanted to see what it looked like on a, on a nicer TV and like with the HDR and stuff like it's like, there's a reason that when I was, when I was streaming it very briefly um, a couple of weeks ago or months ago, or however long ago that was, we kept saying like either it was either me or someone in the chat, like every half hour, somebody said like, this game has no right looking this good. 
Like, it's just a really, really beautiful game. It's seriously impressive how good that game looks. And to hear somebody say it doesn't sound, or to hear somebody say that it doesn't look that good, or like it looks good, but it's, you know, not super impressive or anything, is really surprising to me because I find it, like, pretty breathtaking. So I, I will I, I will say that it's the it's the land I, I will say the landscapes is where the in my opinion where the style comes in and where it looks its best and where it looks really good and where I would say it is above other games. I think like I said, the animations, the grass, everything lends itself to photo mode, but also lends itself to you running through it. Like running into that area where, you know, your your family all trained or whatever. I don't know the the, 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 the I don't know what it's called, but it's like that there's like a circular area where like people were training and that type of thing. Uh, not to give away too much in terms of spoilers, but there's that's that's really cool, and like the leaves look really cool, and even there's like a there's like a snowy area that looks really cool. The storms look cool, the landscape and the world look really good. I the 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 place where I find that it doesn't fall short, I think it falls on par with normal is is character models, and specifically really, uh, yeah, I thought character models and like the look of their faces and stuff was was totally on par, no complaints. But I just don't think it pushed it. I don't think it pushed the bar at all. I kind of felt that like Jin and them were they looked good. They look like they look like modern, uh, modernly animated, whatever you want to say, characters. But especially in terms of um, maybe it's just because they're NPCs, like random NPCs. But random NPCs, especially, I felt that they were just sort of. Mm. I, I felt that they were less detailed even than like a GTA Five NPC. Ooh, oof. I mean, yeah, now that I think about it, some of the, some of the, like, you know, random peasants or whatever, yeah, <clears throat> they're probably not as, as detailed, obviously, as the main characters are going to be, um, but yeah, that's probably fairly accurate, like, some, think... some interiors of some, of some buildings are probably not as nice as some of the landscapes. They're just that's, empty, like, there's so many buildings true. that it's just, like, just wood. <laughs> it's like, why would you even live here? Like, why? Yeah, it's like, who, who, like, are you, this, are this you living here? This is a house. It's just I mean, an empty room inside this place. They're peasants in, like, 1700s Japan. But even they're the nice not, buildings, they're, just, they're just empty rooms. Well, there, there's one, there's one particular scene, and this is, like, a spoiler, there's one particular scene where you're going into sort of, like, a, ca- well, not a sort of a castle, it literally is a castle or a keep or whatever you call it, whatever. And it's supposed to be of, like, you know, of, of great like wealth and stuff like that, or at least that's the impression I got. And very much so from what I was running around, it was just sort of like I was running around and there was nothing short of like, Oh, there's a table over there with some stuff on it and another table over here. But it's like the rest of it's just wood (sighs) or like mats for people to sit. And it just felt maybe that's normal. Like maybe that's how the culture is. I have no idea, but Mm -hmm. that's just for, to me, it just felt like, Oh, I'm in a, I'm in a building that I'm supposed to sneak through. And so, like, stuff is out of my way, so I can sneak through it kind of more easily. That was that's sort of the way I got it. Um, I will say though, uh, I was complaining about the combat. Maybe I don't know, two shows ago, three shows ago, the combat has sort of clicked for me. So, I guess it's just I don't know, muscle memory now or whatever. But I am like way better at the combat now, uh, way more sort of innovative, if you will. Like I'm using all the trinkets and all the like different things that I can use, and. Uh, I will also say that the, and this is a spoiler, the story for me, I started and I started as and wanted to be sort of as samurai-like as I could. Like I was just trying to not be a dick and was actually trying to, or dick in the eyes of the samurai by like sneaking up on people and stuff. And 
I was actually doing standoffs and fighting people up front and that type of thing. And then I just went, it was a, I don't know what happened, but there was just a point and the story pushed me there where I was like, you know what? I'm being a ghost here. Like, even though there's the samurai option, like I'm sneaking out of this place. Like I'm not freaking fighting all these guys. <laughs> so, uh, I think the story did a really good job of that because the story ends up actually resolving in, in that way with the ghost uh, being like sort of the main figure. And I was all ghosted out at that point. All my skill points went into ghost stuff, anything that was left. Uh, I actually didn't get any of the wind or map up upgrades, which is probably why I'm going to go back and like start running around. But I didn't get any of that stuff. I went all ghost at that point using the, the kunais and stuff like that. I used the kunais a bunch in the last big boss fight and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it, I just felt as if like the, the combat, which I was complaining about, is definitely something to master, I suppose. And that's absolutely what I started doing, at least. Uh, I just want to comment on the visuals. I think I kind of side with you, Matt, um, but I think there's a difference between a beautiful looking game and kind of a technically good looking game. And I think Ghost of Tsushima falls in that beautiful category, much much like um, Breath of the Wild is a beautiful game. But I mean, it doesn't look like it's pushing boundaries in terms of realism. Obviously, it's not going for that. It's a very cartoony design. Yeah, it's both, super both games stylized. can look both games can look like good. But but um, since Ghost of Tsushima falls on that more realistic side, um, I feel it misses that mark. But but does nail the the beautiful aspect. I find that funny, because it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just very different from how I view it. It's just I find it really <clears throat> really impressive. There are certain parts that are super stylized, like especially in Legends mode. Like if you're doing any of the online stuff, mm-hmm. that's like super stylized because specifically it's like designed to be like folktale, basically. Like the ghosts right. are a folktale and the ridiculous things that they do is like it's supposed to be fantastical and stuff. Like it's a fantasy world, basically. Um, But even then, even if it's a little like over exaggerated maybe like some of the weather effects or the wind or etc um yeah i don't it's just really impressive to me i don't think that it's like like you guys say i don't know that it's necessarily pushing any like boundaries for like how good games look these days but it's like not super stylized but it is a little stylized and it looks fantastic doing it if you had a category for best graphics or best beautiful game, it would win best beautiful game. I think, I think that's where me and Matt are. Well, there's one thing. There's one thing I. I think the first thing I noticed, and maybe it was one particular area, maybe there was a glitch. I'm not sure, but what I noticed, like at one point, I was like running around, new new to the game, maybe like the second play session in, and I just realized I was like, why is there all this? Like it just seemed very stylized, and I was like, why is there all this grass all over the place? I was like, I wonder if it's kind of covering anything up. And I ran over to the edge of it, and the the ground where it didn't have, like, that high sort of blowing around grass was literally just a green texture. Just a flat green texture. Now, again, I don't know whether it was a gl- bit glitch or what, but that, I think that's maybe where I got some of my uh, opinion from, where I was just like, oh, these stylized things, while they're beautiful and they look nice and all the rest of it and they're great for photo mode, are covering up the fact that to get this game to run well, the textures are very, like... 
just like green and then gray or like whatever would apply. Now, again, I didn't like run around and test this repeatedly or anything like that, but that's just sort of where part of my opinion came from and where the beginning of that thought kind of came from. I never saw that. I did see a couple of graphical glitches with like the same thing that you see in like a Bethesda game or if there's a big bunch of like rocks in a field or like up a cliff face and stuff like that. Sometimes you could see like behind the texture of a rock or like inside the texture like the rock oh. didn't necessarily touch oh, the rest I of the see. landscape perfectly well you could like see underneath and see through the model because obviously the inside of a rock is not rendered um but i think i only saw issues like that like i could the, the, the number of times i saw that i could count on one hand over you know 90 hours of playing that game and i don't uh-huh. know about you then tim like you were talking about rock faces but I found climbing around, especially on rocks, to be very, very buggy. Uh, like, I've frequently got into, like, places I really wasn't supposed to. There's a point in which you're trying to sneak under a bridge. And I don't know whether I'm just doing it wrong or what the hell, but, like, I kept getting, like, I got stuck in the water. And it wasn't like I was swimming. I was, like, stuck in this weird spot where I was, like, half falling and half whatever. So then I, you know, reset, whatever. Go back to the last checkpoint. Try to jump again. And then I end up stuck in between two sort of like in like a circular rock area. So like, I guess I jumped the way that the game didn't think I would jump and I thought I would make it, but I didn't. And then I just like landed in this weird rock bed and it wasn't like I died and then had to restart. Like you would normally, it was like, I was stuck, but I found that all the time in, um, in the single player. So there's a, there's a part where I think it might be a tail. It is a tail actually. So it's somebody guarding a, a set of armor and it's in like this circular field so there's like it's like a circular rock cliff all the way around then it's like a circular field surrounded by this rock and i think it's all purple flowers and there's some houses and there's a there's a couple of graveyard areas and then there's an area where you can bow and i actually found that before the tale i was just exploring i found it i jumped out of a castle and i jumped into a rock face and i had to jump into there but it was still like super glitchy. I was like floating and my character model was freaking out and I couldn't jump certain directions. Like there was like presumably invisible walls around me or the jump mechanic wasn't working right. And that happened to me not all the time, but that also made me avoid rock faces as much as I could to the point where I just ended up only jumping when I was like extra sure, even though sometimes those hesitations would kill me later on. And then I would just be like, okay, I guess I have to jump that way because I just didn't want to get all janked in the rocks. That's surprising. I don't know. I, I like. I know what you're talking about. Like you jumping up the um, environment or something like that, and sometimes you get stuck, like in a constant falling animation or whatever, mm-hmm. because you're not you're not landing and you're getting stuck on the on the um, the vertices of the different rocks. But like, um, I guess I just quickly like one of the things that I try to do in in like any game like that is get a handle on the movement and navigation like immediately right i really like i don't know if it's just the way my brain works like i really want to understand the way movement works in a game like first and foremost and then from there like i understand the limitations of that movement and then i just like stick with it so like when i understand that the mechanics of a game is like oh you know if in this game they don't want you to climb a rock face unless it's specifically marked as climbable then i'm only going to look for those specifically marked places i don't try to like jump up you know flat rock faces or rock faces that have a lot of like parts sticking out um 
on purpose because I I know that it's not intended and I'm not going to get anywhere by doing it unless specifically I'm like trying to do that like that is my goal is to you know fuck with the uh, environment in such a way that see if I can like take advantage of it like break it to try to like you know get inside a camp or past a fence that I'm not supposed to or something um, like a part of the game that's like blocked off for story reasons or whatever like just to see if I could do it um but you know nothing i would spend any more than like a couple of minutes doing and if i got stuck that way it's like well yeah it's because i was i was fucking with it but i never came across any issues um any significant issues like that in my playthrough because i was just like oh you know this is how the movement works in this game you know i'm going to go here i honestly had as far as like platforming and like navigation i would say i had more issues with like grappling hook points than any like rock faces like oh, getting wow. like jumping with a grappling hook and then getting stuck on you know some edge of a building or something especially I, on like legends mode on the ships and stuff there's like grapple points that you can hook onto on ships and then right. you just sort of like slap into a wall and then you just like stop moving and it's weird and it makes some it makes for some weird like screenshots but um you know they put that out for free and they've developed it after the game came out, right? So I'm not expecting, like, AAA uh, quality content as far as that. And even then, it's still really good. Yeah, it's not even really designed for multiplayer. It's just they, they had a, clearly, like, a cool idea in the office. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, I mean, we can do it. Let's do it, you know? Yeah. Um, as for myself, I played a bit of Watch Dogs Legion. Which, uh... I always forget that's out. I always think yeah. it's a PS5 game. I thought I didn't know it was out. <laughs> I haven't been playing it too much, but I think I'm kind of just waiting out until the PS5, maybe. That's what I'm gonna do for it. But I really do. I really am gonna like pick it up. I really do like like the whole vibe it has. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. But so, so far, the Jeez. the driving's really weird, and not just because they're on the left side of the road. Um, S- treat it. This is this is the best way to handle these, those games. Treat it like Far Cry driving in third person. The instant, I I, just, the instant I did that in, in Ghost Recon Wildlands, the driving was fine for me. Cars just don't feel like they have weight to them. You know no, they mean? don't. Not at all. <laughs> not and, at but all. They, <laughs> they, are, they are electric, though. So, I mean, you, you do have some pretty good acceleration. But uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's taken a while to get used to. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, so, so I'm, like, Watch Dogs, uh, the, whatever the second one was, like, that's the last one that, uh, that's the last one I played. The um, Did Watch Dogs 2 have a... Subtitle? No, no, no. I'm talking about like, I'm not sure. Oh, actually, that's a good. I don't know. Watch Dogs Two. I thought it. I thought it had a subtitle. Watch Dogs Two, Ghost Recon. Those are like sort of the last open world Ubisoft games I think I played, and mm. both of them had like that where I don't really get well a little bit in Far Cry. I get a, like a weighty vehicle feel, um, but like the vehicles definitely feel at the very least they feel lighter than they normally do. So like I would assume that Legion is exactly the same way. Uh, but I will also say that, well, I'll ask you this. So what do you think about the NPCs being the, you know, interact with each one and all that? You know, I, that's haven't, the... I haven't recruited any yet. Like, I'm, I literally only played like an hour, maybe. Okay. Oh, you're oh, so you're really early in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's all I've kind of really gotten around to. Kind of just waiting for next gen right, right now. So been doing the Overwatch and got my 76 working again, thankfully. That's, oh, that's it's scary. Uh, 
well, it's not scary. It's 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 stupid. It's, like, it's scary that I want to complete this season, and if this happens again, I'll be out another two days. It's, it's just frustrating. Well, will you be participating as hardcore in the next season? Probably, I think, at this point. Like, it might be a Brotherhood season, maybe I'll be there, but I, I, I think I've said this before, I'm just hitting critical mass with that game. I have so much stuff that I don't even... I know. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. it's like, man, hell yeah, I got, like, the cushion, deep-pocketed, dark-treated, leather-heavy, like, plan. Yeah. Like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what the hell did yeah. I get? And I'm, I'm happy because, you know, I'm just trying to, like, completionist my character, so I'm happy to get a recipe or a plan because it's something that's permanent. But I'm getting to the point where it's like, I don't even know what that was, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right, let's hop into the stories for this week. Uh, our first up here from IGN, Bethesda Boss says it's hard to imagine... Elder Scrolls 6 being Xbox exclusive. So, as you may know, um, Microsoft is currently in talks to purchase Bethesda, the um, publisher who owns uh, Bethesda Gameworks. Gameworks? Is that it? Bethesda Game Studios, and then Bethesda there's Bethesda, then there's Bethesda Softworks, which is a publisher. And then there's okay. ZeniMax, which is the parent, the parent company of company. Bethesda. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, anyway, this was an interview with the uh, game industry um, James Batchelor, who posed the idea that seeing The Elder Scrolls VI as exclusive was hard to imagine, particularly as The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim owes some of its huge success to the sheer number of consoles it launched on. Uh, Todd Howard replied by saying, I would agree that it is hard to imagine, but would say no more on the subject. Now, a lot of people are arguing, and I, I continue to see this happening online, is, is whether once the deal is complete, will Microsoft actually make those games exclusive to Xbox and PC? Um, now we're not hearing any definitive answers and one of the reasons might be that the deal is not actually done yet so I don't know what the source is for this necessarily but I saw on Instagram on I believe it was IGN but don't quote me that they had posted you know like IGN post little news things and yeah. if I remember correctly it said that the reason why Bethesda and Microsoft like this reason why Microsoft hasn't exactly laid out the roadmap or whatever or the plans they have for Bethesda is because because the deal is not done it is literally illegal allegedly yes. for them to say anything or for them Microsoft, to plan Microsoft can't start giving Bethesda orders or saying what their future prospects are until that deal is closed Right so I mean it, like everyone wants to know of course but I mean like Phil Spencer and them aren't going to break their Legal obligations, yeah. Of course, yeah. But it's weird when they say stuff like this. Now, I've heard this interpreted two different ways. The hard to imagine means that he doesn't want it to happen or doesn't think it's likely to happen. Or he's just saying kind of... um, What's the word for it? Just, Just saying, like, it's... Before the deal was ever even talked about or started... He just never thought that it would happen. That literally was hard to imagine it happening, but it might actually end up happening. Well, almost like it, a rhetorical remark, I guess. But Xbox exclusive is is half is. Well, if we just if if we say there's only three platforms, there's the Switch as well. But let, let's just for the sake of argument, there's t- there's three main platforms: PC, Xbox, and 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 uh, PS4 or PlayStation. Uh, the, I mean, you're getting sixty six ish percent of the of the market. You know what I mean? Like it's not that different. It's just now it's not on PlayStation. But when PlayStation goes on to sell what they're projecting, a hundred million PS fives. Yeah. That's a massive market you're just leaving on the table. Mm-hmm. Like even if 
like just because Microsoft owns the studio doesn't necessarily mean that it's only going to be on Microsoft platforms. It would be foolish of them from a business standpoint to not release on PlayStation because like they can then license that um that project like that that release on PlayStation and then they get a cut of the profits. It's basically like free money. So why would they just leave it on the table? Because how many like it's it's so worth it with how many PlayStations they're gonna sell. But I, I see the argument both ways. Like I see that as an argument. I think that's totally legitimate. But also they paid seven point five billion dollars for this. And would they pay that much not to make it exclusive? That's that's a, that's the really big question, right? They Microsoft, want people moving anyone... to Game Pass and, and to the and to Xbox, right? Right. But that could be the exclusive part, right? So the 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 salesmanship of that, I suppose, like I'm, I'm with Tim on this where it's like in terms of a, a pure sales bulk money upon release of the game perspective, it's foolish to leave PlayStation out because PlayStation, even without an Elder Scrolls game, you know, hypothetically, uh, the PlayStation is still going to sell a whole bunch of consoles and therefore a bunch of those people on there are definitely going to want to play Elder Scrolls. So what could end up happening is is like the new frontier, if you will, is Xbox Game Pass, but also more specifically XCloud. So if PS Now, although it doesn't look like this this is going to happen anytime soon, but if PS Now becomes a big concern to Sony's and they're going crazy and they want everyone to use that, or if they come up with a well, I suppose I was going to say uh, PS Now. Also, you don't have to stream anything anymore. So PS Now is sort of like the XCloud, uh, or specifically the Game Pass sort of. Uh, competitor if you will directly yeah so realistically the frontier that they could do is or the way that they could get their quote-unquote exclusivity in there is we paid all this money we'll sell you the disc and or the digital version straight up on the playstation but you do not get it with ps now and you never Mm -hmm. will and you never will be able to stream it but if you want to stream your all the trolls experience you want to stream your next fallout single player experience and you know you better on mobile or onto whatever xCloud is onto at that point then you know you better come to Xbox you know since this deal isn't like isn't complete and they're kind of talking like how they haven't really talked much other than that they want to make this deal uh, I wonder if a lot of the marketing and um, kind of interviews we get from these executives will definitely change once that deal is closed and once they hammer out these details. Because right now they're, they're still very much saying like they, even Microsoft said a case by case basis, apparently Todd Howard backed that up. And in the interviews with them talking about this deal, they constantly say how like at Bethesda, they want gamers to be able to play wherever and on, on whatever device they want, you know, and it, it seems very counterintuitive to a company buying you, <laughs> you know, to make you, I guess, exclusive. Now, maybe that will all change once the deal is done and they start hammering out the details and saying, okay, you can't be talking, <laughs> you want the games everywhere, you know? But everywhere everywhere is also, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, <clears throat> but in terms of like a marketing term, everywhere can realistically be taken as, as relative, even though that doesn't know, like, make sense English-wise. Relative could say, on your phone, on your console, and on your PC, it just so happens that your console has to be Xbox. It just so happens that you have to have xCloud, and it just so happens that it has to be a Windows PC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And thus, they just mean xCloud means you'll be able to stream anywhere. Well, I, the great question would be is, is xCloud ever going to come to PS5? That would be so funny. All right. Uh, our next switch. story. What? 
coming to Switch. I mean, that would be freaking awesome. Skyrim I like I like Switch. Skyrim on the Switch. I know I know Tim hates oh, it. I like God. Skyrim on the Switch. Ugh. I like it. I'd rather play it on Amazon Alexa. Hmm? <laughs> it's so dark and the control No, I'm not getting into it. Next next story. <laughs> uh, next story here. Uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Uh, has been delayed until December, I believe, is the new time, right? Yeah, an extra three weeks. Um, but the delay might be caused, uh, or might be due to the uh, PS4 and Xbox One versions. This comes from GameSpot. So recent comments from CEO Adam. Does anyone want to give that one a go? Adam nope. Kaczynski? Kaczynski. Uh, suggests the trouble is getting the game to run properly on current generation consoles. And he says... Uh, the game is ready for the PC and runs great on on the next gen consoles and could be shipped on the scheduled date on those platforms. However, even though it, the game has been certified on the current gens by both Sony and Microsoft, uh, some very final optimization processes uh, for such a massive and complex game require a bit of additional time. Uh, he also said, last but not least, despite all our all the effort taken uh, to limit the impact of COVID nineteen on our work, the current ep- uh, epidemiological Jesus. Epidemiological situation (laughs) at this stage of the project is not making things any easier. Um, I think this is understandable. Obviously, they want the game to ship on on as many platforms as possible, right? Um, And it it was a pretty big game, so. I don't think this is a problem. I don't know. People are freaking out. Like, I saw people. Obviously, you have your really extreme cases, people throwing death threats around, so that's ridiculous. But. There's like the other people who are coming in with like a constructed argument, fair enough, and they come in and this is social from social media comments and they'll be like, you know, you said this was going to come out this day and like that's the way it has to be like, you know, kit your damn deadlines. But if you really look at like the complexity of tech these days and how much like how many deadlines there are coming in and like how something so small can just delay something for weeks, right? It's just mm-hmm. like it's just like you can't have people on everything, like just from a realistic perspective. You can't have people on everything 24/7. You know, it, it's it's the same argument for when certain countries or whatever jurisdictions will say, like, you can't answer your work phone or work emails can't come in after a certain time. Because realistically, most industries don't just shut down. So if if we were all on all the time, then we would all have to be on all the time, if that makes sense. Like, a ringer's on all the time, ready to go to work all the time, and even if you're not on call, you're kind of on call, you know? And I kind of feel as though, even though this is not a like an IT situation or something like that especially with COVID-19, God knows how they're shuffling in and out of the office or what they're allowed to do. But like, it kind of comes down to the same thing. It's sort of like, Hey, we're done. Everyone go home. Like, or like whatever, like, Hey, all right, we're done. We're done for, for the week. Everyone go home for the weekend or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second. We just did this really weird test case and the actual animation that we just fixed or built is broken. So then it's like, well, do you call the head animator at one in the morning when you found it? You know what I mean? Like, that's where the problem comes in because now that person has to be constantly plugged in. So the delay can come from the fact that you're letting the person sleep till nine in the morning or whenever they come in normally. Or you could, you know what I mean? Like, it, it I think that's where people are losing it. It's like, things are becoming so complex that it's impossible. Like, it's at, at this stage of like human, uh, human understanding and logistics, it is impossible to plan every scenario out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've seen some people come at come at it with the, the perspective of like, just don't ever say a date then. Like, mm-hmm. just don't ever say it and just just release. Like, say say when you're gonna release it, like you know, three weeks out or something like that. But 
you know, like do it the Bethesda thing where they're just like, oh, by the way, we, we've been working on this like little project and it's available to download today, like that sort of thing. But to answer like that particular, you know, perspective is just what you've just said, right? Things are so insanely complicated now in, in game development that you could pull a Bethesda and be like, you know, announce a game three months before it comes out like they did with Fallout 4. But three months is still a long damn time for a bunch of stuff to go wrong when you're trying to, like, push the game to gold, you know? Like Especially during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's so much that can happen still, especially when people aren't all able to be in the same stu- like studio or, or same um, office all the time to be able to address issues quickly. And you can only rely on the speed of somebody reading their email versus, like, actually just going and talking to them or recalling them even. Like there's there's you you have the limitations of like you said human uh logistical efficiency to consider um and like the difference between you know us now and when Fallout 4 came out is four years five years like a lot has changed in an entire console an entire console generation you know um it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. My biggest issue with um, with this, with the whole like development of Cyberpunk 2077, is not the fact that they've delayed it for three months after they've said, or three weeks, sorry, after they've said that it's going to come out, which is like such a non-issue for somebody to like be freaking out about and sending death threats. Like that just means that person literally has nothing else in their life aside from this game release, which is really sad and very pitiable and i feel sorry for those people um my issue is the fact that they said they weren't going to do crunch they Mm. were not going to they made a public statement saying that they were not going to um like they were going to let the game take the time it needed to be developed and they were not going to put that pressure on their developers and then they immediately you know a couple months later the news articles come out that they're in crunch mode and so the only thing that I can think is that they were like, oh, you know, we felt bad about crunch mode, so let's give our employees an extra three weeks. It's like, if you had just not come out in the beginning and promised the consumer market and news outlets and whatever that you're not going to put this game into crunch development, and then you do it, you you should have just not come out and said anything in the first place. You would get so much less flack for going into crunch mode then you took by saying you're not going to and then doing it anyway. That's the issue that I take with it. And like I I have said repeatedly, I'm not going to get Cyberpunk as soon as it comes out just because like I'm, I am interested in it, but in a combination of having too much else to play and also kind of wanting to protest the game um, because of the way they developed it, I never thought that I would be sitting here and saying... I am disappointed in CD Projekt Red for the work that they've done because everybody knows that they're a they have they're a very very reputable company and they make quality products but they have made a lot of poor decisions in just the last year and whether that's a mix up between marketing versus development or whether it's you know PR versus um corporate desire and stuff like that 
COVID um, panic. It could be panic too, because they all, are a smaller company. The, you know, it's all in the middle of a pandemic as well. They're being funded by the government, which may also have a hand in it as well. Um, it's uh, it's it's just a mess, and I don't want to support a company that's going to, you know, make decisions like that and pretend like it's okay, uh, because it's not. It's not fair to the developers, and it's not fair to the consumer base who, you know, are the ones that are keeping these companies afloat right and to an extent there's always going to be that group of people like nintendo fans for example who will just buy anything that gets put out they don't care about the ethical like the ethics side of it they don't care about the um you know what goes in goes on behind the scenes they just want the thing and they will pay money for the thing Mm -hmm. um and that's fine. Like, not everybody can put 100% of their energy into every issue because humans just can't possibly do that. Um, you have to pick your battles. And unfortunately, this is one that I feel is just like, it's not okay. Um, and I feel like they should at least suffer some consequences for the decisions they've made. And kind of the developers will be the ones who are also punished by you know extension but if the company sees that as a whole hopefully it'll lead to a bit of change and i don't know that i've seen so much feedback online of other people saying the same things um everybody still seems really pumped for the game no matter what comes out about it um which is kind of a problem that you can run into when a game has so much hype but that being said, you know, I just really hope that the people who are working on that game are comfortable in what they're doing. You know, they're not there if they don't want to be kind of thing and that they're being treated with respect that they deserve because, you know, there's a lot of really talented people that work for that company. And I would really hate to see um, anybody get left by the wayside or, you know, left out in the cold because of the decisions that the company decided to make. Do you think they bit off more than they could chew on this? Were they a little too ambitious? I mean, that's what they Taking said like, right, of a game? right off the bat, is that it was going to be hyper, hyper ambitious, right? And I, and I feel like a lot of people joined on to work on that project because they wanted to be connected to it, you know? Because when you work on something that's like, like crazy ambitious, even if you like only kind of achieve half of what you hoped to achieve, it's still going to be pretty remarkable, right? Yeah. And um, this game this game's been overhyped since they released that first CG trailer like seven years ago or whatever that was. Um so. Well the the scariest thing is probably for them is like sure they're getting some residual income from the Witcher and stuff. But like I said earlier, like CD Project Red, even though I'm I'm sure it's grown, although I don't I don't have those numbers in front of me as to what how what size they are, but they are a small company in that they're not like Ubisoft where it's like, oh, like, I don't know, one of the Far Cry games failed? Well, whatever, we had Watch Dogs and, 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 and that year. Whereas CD Projekt Red, it's like, oh, Cyber 20, you know, Cyberpunk 2077 failed? Great, our last game was The Witcher 3. Or like Gwent or whatever. You don't see them pumping games out all the time. Yeah. So, like, I wonder if a lot of the decisions were just due to panic, because it's like, well, like, what are we going to do? Like, it sucks. I'm not going to be getting it right away, but that's just for me because it was just too long. Uh, I just think it's too much. And like that was my problem with The Witcher. So like it's just something where I haven't looked too much at the game. 
I will be watching it though. Like I'm going to check out the videos and stuff because I was listening to Vic's basement, which is another podcast with Victor Lucas. And he made a comment that said, you know, not only is this game important for CD project red, but it's also important for the industry. And I didn't really get it, but like thinking about it, like I didn't get it at the time of listening, but thinking about it, like this is so hyper ambitious that it's, it's almost like, this is like that bar moving thing that I was saying where, you know, we're slowly but surely moving away from potentially these open worlds that feel dead-ish, if that makes sense. Like, The Witcher did a good job of making the world feel alive. Other games do too, but maybe this one is the one that's going to really make it alive or something. Like, whatever bar it's pushing, I don't follow it too closely, like I said, it feels like they're trying to take that bar and, like, really push it. Uh, which is which is interesting, so I'm definitely going to be watching out for it. But there's just too much. Like, I'm going to be getting Legion on... PS5, Miles Morales. I gotta do, like, I'll, be, I'll still be playing 76, of course. I'm gonna be running around and go to Tsushima for, like, whatever. Like, there's a whole bunch of games I got on PC. I got Mafia, I got Rage, I got... Uh, I've been playing, actually, Prison Architect, the one of the expansions that came out. So it's like, I got stuff to play. <laughs> like, and I don't need a game that's gonna take me God knows how many hours to get yeah. through right now. Like, it's yeah. gonna be a big damn game. Yeah. I was just looking to see if there was any article written about the team sizes. Um, and there's an article from 2016 that said roughly in the in the ballpark of 240 different developers worked on The Witcher. And that their careers page at the time at CD Projekt Red said they were looking to fill about 60 more positions for Cyberpunk. So... At least 300 different people, probably more by this point, because this article is quite old. Damn. And also very, like, hopeful. <laughs> it said, like, looking <laughs> at a 2017 release date for Cyberpunk. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Yeah. And now we're in 2020, and it's still not out. I, uh, I, just, think, I just think what they should have did, honestly, would have been a way better... I don't know whether this is, like, a weird, hopeful, like, thing, but, okay, you know, take, take Fallout 76. Fallout 76 was a PR disaster kind of still is according to some people but like i don't think it is regardless it was a big disaster when it came out due to a variety of things the mat like the game itself the the bag and the in the big collector's edition like the, the whole thing anyway there's a bunch of bunch of crap and um one of the things that bethesda did and bethesda still does and is, is doing right is have um uh inside the vault so they're pretty open about what's happening yes there's some you know there's some things that some people argue they're not open enough about and stuff but it's like a blog post that comes out every whenever they need to talk to us the get the player of fallout 76 and it explains what's happening what events are going to happen when they're going to happen how they're going to work what patches are coming out what's in the atomic shop blah 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 it's sort of like this blog and the inside the vault ones of those um you know explain the really important features and the things that we want to hear about and where the game's going. And those are mostly what the inside the vault in particular articles are like. So that whole website, including the atomic shop stuff, if your person likes to buy stuff is really important. And I feel as though that formula, like, whereas, you know, fall 76 is totally different than cyberpunk. What you really could do is like one of these companies is you say, okay, social media and stuff is huge, whatever. Take cyberpunk. We're not going to beat the date. This sucks. Say why? Delay it indefinitely, say, I'm not sure when, we may do 2020, or, like, do a quarter, like, and say it's a rough date, we don't know, and then open up a website where you literally have the devs share what they can, talk about what, what they can, do stuff like that, I feel like that's a way better way to PR it, if you will, show a bunch of screenshots, you stay in the media, you don't, 
hurt the devs uh, like schedules at all. You don't have to worry about crunch. And that site will stay open throughout the life of Cyberpunk, showing off different things like people taking sh- shots in photo mode if there is one and stuff like that. Like, I feel as though that site, even though it's, you know, simple in concept, that site that Bethesda did was a really good idea. If there's one place I go to to look for, like, actual official hard like dates, like, when is this double XP happening? Because that's, that's important in an MMO. I go to that the follow whatever 76 blog where the inside the vaults and the atomic shop articles and all that stuff is like, that's where I go. And I feel as though that game devs should just be more open like this. Like instead of having one, some of them have like one blog a year or whatever, just share pictures. Like you don't have to show, you don't have to show like whatever you could say, Oh, new, new desktop wallpapers, this, whatever, you know, like this week, here's new desktop wallpapers in your 4ks and your 1080ps and stuff. And it keeps you in the zeitgeist. It keeps people excited. You probably will have a newsletter. It will keep people excited for your next game because now they're on their, your newsletter and you're not like killing yourself and or your employees to finish something on a date that just isn't going to work, you know? I mean, then it makes it hard to kind of build hype um, around that game. And it also sets up expectations that might not be fulfilled. Um that's a that's a difficult one to play. I would say that it's it, it is a last resort. I would play like in a in a live game. It makes total sense because you constantly have stuff to talk about. But in in a, something like Cyberpunk, I don't know if it's gonna be live or whatever. But just as like a like I wouldn't have maybe done the site from when the, it was announced. But now that we know that we're in the final window, but the window just is like I don't know. Let's say if they didn't do crunch, is it three months, six months, whatever when they decided to do it? Uh, at that point, it's like. We already have the hype. We just need some time. We need to literally buy ourselves some time. So if people don't like the website, the game's still going to come out later. <laughs> you know, one of those th- one of those sort of things. Like, we don't know what to do, so this will, like, keep people fed for now, I suppose. You know, something, at least. Yeah, I mean, you can you can do drip feed, but that I think that falls down. That comes to the, um, the marketing team to make that. that that's true. That's very yeah. true. I mean, there's lots of games that put out, you know, drip feed content before a game comes out for years um you know for for whatever reason the game that comes to mind for me is kingdom come deliverance just because that game was like openly in development for like five years and they were showing off content and stuff um and if you go back and you watch the original trailers for kingdom come it is so different from what the game ended up being like the main character design changed drastically um even some of the stuff they showed off for like armor and combat systems and stuff like that, it's it's completely different and stuff, right? So it's it's a tough balance to 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 fix or to to hit, um, where you want to show show off what you're doing, but at the same time you want to have that consistency of like what um, what what can people expect when they play the game, you know. Um, Although I suppose it, maybe it depends on the project, and I guess there's different styles that you could go with, or different strategies. I mean, um, that you could go with when you when you do such a thing, um, because there's also something to be said about games that are in like early access, and they show off you know early builds of the game, or people even potentially have access to early builds of the game. And then as the game gets updated and developed and stuff, 
people kind of feel like, oh, you know what? My my supporting of this game was justified because, like, look at how much work they're constantly putting into it kind of thing, you know? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, like they're seeing it. Yeah, people get to almost go along for the ride of the development, right? Like for um, for Medieval Dynasty, which I've been playing, like which I have been playing a lot of uh, more so last month, but they just released one of their major like updates mm-hmm. which added like a lot of stuff a lot of new there's events now in the game and there's like different decisions that you things will happen and you can make different decisions and it'll change the outcome of what happens um they added a bunch of new decorate decorative items they added torches and like lamp posts and they added more npcs and they changed how quests work and like they the game's basically completely different now well not completely but it's significantly different from what it was like last month um so that's cool. So like that's worth. See that that makes me want to jump back in and play the game again because now there's a bunch more stuff to to explore. I mm-hmm. kind of felt like I got my fill. Um, just the I don't even know ten hours ish that I played on stream of it because there wasn't really all that much to do. Um, but now there's a there's a ton more stuff and the game looks better. It's running better. Like I remember when the game first launched and like Sips was playing it on stream. He couldn't even get the game to run at 4K. Like, it just it, it just did not have the capacity. Right. Um, so he had to play it at 1080, and it was this, like, big thing. But that being said, um, some people like to be along for that ride, right? A lot of people, I would say the majority of people want just a product to be finished and polished, and they just want to enjoy it at its, like, best and then move along. Um, but, like, for certain things, like, I like to... I like to see the difference between a game at launch versus a game, you know, uh, a year down the line. Like, I kind of wish that I had played No Man's Sky when it first came out, just so I could appreciate the No Man's Sky Beyond update way more. Because, you know, that, that game probably has is, is infamous for how significantly different it is now from when it first launched, and like how they saved that game. Uh... I'm kind of the opposite with that game where I played it at launch um, and it, it kind of burned me so badly that I don't really <laughs> care what they do to it. I'm just not going back. That's fair. Um, nothing against them. And I'm glad they're spending the time and making the game better. And I'm hoping people enjoy it now, but I'm, I just can't go back. Uh, I will say uh, payday, payday two is uh, another example of what you're saying, Tim, where it was like that. We used to play it in college and, it, we mastered it. We got to a point where we were like, not max level, whatever, but we were like really high level. We knew how to do all the missions. We knew how to do all the stuff, whatever. I quit for years, like a long time. I quit for a long time. I come back. I come back a long time later, maybe like a couple of years later. And it ends up that it's like completely different. There's different missions. There's different currencies. There's like Sons of Anarchy people in there. John Wick's in there. Like, you know, it's totally different. The game is a completely different 180 and like what kind of sucks is like i kind of wish i saw it grow to that rather than see the jump because now i'm like nostalgic for the old version <laughs> and then it's just like oh well mm-hmm. like i'm not going to play this new one because there's just so much to learn now type of thing which Man, maybe is I, the bad mentality but i fucking loved payday 2 on release it was so good that payday is such a like sad game for me because i absolutely adored payday like playing it with you and some other people back in the day and then Payday 2 came out, and it was just the same thing, but way better, with way more functionality, and, like, more missions, and different game mechanics, and it was so cool, and there was such a great, like, progression to it. Yeah. 
And then they just fucking ruined it by changing up all the, like, perks. And they made every class, like, level up the same way. So there wasn't really any real point in playing one class over another. Because they all ended up doing the same things at the end anyway. And, I mean, down the line, they, I guess, they have changed that. Anytime I talk to somebody about Payday 2, they always say, Oh, yeah, I know they, they, they changed things back to the way they were, but they added more stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's great now. But it's like, it's the fact that I loved it and then they changed it. Yes, it yeah. fucking sucked and I hated it. Like, I, I've never played a game that got updated and then it made me hate it. But, <laughs> except for Payday 2. And I was like, well, I, I guess I can't play this game because it was great and I loved it. And then I was still in the process of, of playing it and, and loving it and enjoying it. And then they changed it and fucking ruined it. So it's just like, it's just a dark spot on my timeline now. Well, I will say, I will say one thing about Payday is like, I get, I get what you, what you mean. Like, and, and I haven't played it a, a bunch in its current form, like maybe the last year and on. I've played it a little bit here and there. Somebody wants to kind of like jump in. I do like a round or two. So I'm not fully versed in all the new missions and all that. So like, I'm definitely rusty. But one of the things I do find with Payday 2 is that what, how the progression worked in the early days was that you progressed up. And you got to a point where you were like, you became like a master heist person, whatever. You became like a master at it. And you would be able to like answer all the radio calls and sneak into any place or go loud in any place and be super successful. And you felt like as if you went from, you know, really struggling through the stealth, especially and even really struggling through the fighting. If you were going loud to like, oh, I'm like a super sleuth now, like. We're like a legit crew of people and we have the cooperation, but we also have the gear that we've earned to like what I find now is it just feels like, and again, it could just be due to my progression, but it feels like the game is just like really, really challenging. And it's to the point where like the progression didn't matter, if that makes sense. So it's always like, it feels like there's always another difficulty to get to. And it's like, shouldn't this game be getting easier? Like, shouldn't I be... Like, shouldn't I be getting better at it? Shouldn't my crew be getting better? And that happens, but not to the extent it used to. Although, Payday, v- Payday 2 VR is awesome, so. All right, let's move on to our next story. Um, I think that one started as a cyberpunk story. It did indeed. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Far Cry 6 is also being delayed, as well as Rainbow Six Quarantine uh, being delayed into Ubisoft's 2021 fiscal year. This comes from Polygon. Uh, according to Ubisoft's earning call from the first half of 2020 2021, the studio has run into some snags due to the pandemic. The news uh, release nonchalantly mentions uh, that Ubisoft will now release Far Cry 6 and Rainbow Six Quarantine in its next fiscal year, which runs from 2021 into 2022. While we don't have a concrete release date for either game, uh, we know we won't see them prior to April 2021. Um, do you think this is going to become more often? Like more of a, an occurrence where these games get delayed because of uh, things like COVID and stuff. I think I've said it on the podcast before. Where I, I I honestly think that COVID is hitting game companies like more than we think. I think the further or the the earlier they are in production, I think the more they they got affected. A lot of the games we're playing right now were like well well on their way to release, right? Well, that's exactly it, and and like a lot of the games that are supposed to be launch titles for you know, PS5 and Xbox, you know, they were probably super ready for it, if you will, Mm -hmm. because they're like, okay, this has to be our launch lineup. Like, they probably had a minimum viable launch lineup. 
Mm-hmm. And those games were probably even ready, God knows how early, right? Or at least like so well, like running like a, such a well old machine that it just didn't matter. Whereas like anyone who was just sort of in a standard game development scenario or early in production, as you say, probably got hit really hard. Mm-hmm. I heard one of the biggest problems they have is with the mocap, right? Because there you literally need people interacting and stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, they need people like in the studio. Mm-hmm. So I mean uh, I'm not too surprised, but um, and and these games are so kind of they're so far out there anyway, you know, that it doesn't uh, it doesn't sting as hard uh, to hear it being delayed. Well, this is my question: is like th- I think we talked about this on the stream, the PS collection or whatever it was, PS Plus collection, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, for PS Five, I kind of th- think, and this is just a theory, I kind of think that 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 is a thing because the PS Five isn't going to have many games in the first year. And same with the Xbox Series, either. That's interesting. Yeah, because I I, I I feel as though COVID is really hitting, like this hard. Like think about how full this holiday season is with games. Pretty full, right? But it's pretty full because of the consoles. If you if you mm-hmm. really look at it, if you were to take just this just the amount of games that I can think of off the top of my head that are coming out this holiday season. From my perspective, without having like run through the list and checked, it kind of feels like it's less than normal. Yeah. Although with the with the PlayStation Plus collection, I kind of feel like that's just a a quick, easy response to Game Pass that they can do right now. Also, if you if you were let's say an Xbox or a Nintendo player for last gen, um, and you missed all those great um, PlayStation exclusives. That's like a whole bunch of games you can get when you buy your PS5. You know, that's a pretty good selling point for someone who missed all those great games um, from this gen. Yeah, you're right there. Um... But even Tim, you were saying that you have you kind of missed a lot of the PlayStation exclusives, like God of War and stuff. Mostly from my own doing, though. But if you were to get a PS5 and you got the PS Plus. You'd have access to them all and be able to play them. It'd be great. It's a good instant game collection. Like that's that that's a key thing. If especially if PS Five is like your first time coming to PlayStation for years, like if you were an Xbox One person or whatever the case is, and you basically skip PS Four for whatever reason, then you this like it's a good, it's a really good incentive to get into it. You know, and that's enough game, that's enough game there to keep you occupied for the year. Yeah. You know. All right, next up here we have Halo Infinite uh, microtransaction concerns have prompted a response from Microsoft. So this comes from GameSpot. So developer 343 Industries recently announced that weapon, vehicle, and player skins in Halo Infinite will be called coatings. <laughs> Fans immediately began expressing concerns about microtransactions. Uh, we've now learned a bit more about how these are structured in the game and whether you'll need to spend money to get new coatings. Uh, community manager John... Janisic responded to fans' concerns writing on Twitter. Uh, he said that uh, while Halo Infinite will have microtransactions, uh, a microtransaction store, it won't be the only way to get the game's customized uh, items, which go beyond coatings. Any, any, uh, I, I was, I, this kind of brought up a question when I was like copying the story over. Um, when do we get to a point? Where either they, people stop complaining about microtransactions, 
or they take them out? Is is either option possible? No. <laughs> Everyone complains about everything. So like that's yeah. like that's I mean I'm I'm a part of it too. We all are. We complain about whatever. And there's going to be people that align with us, people that don't align with us. So like there's going to be people complaining about God knows what and we're going to think that their complaints are ridiculous and they're going to think our complaints are ridiculous. That's just a part of being an opinionated person or just a person, I guess. Um but I, a, lot, a lot of games have microtransactions now, and it just seems to be like a fact of life. Yeah, 0% chance of them removing them. Is it is it worth complaining about every single time? Should we keep complaining? The problem is that the people that are complaining aren't the ones that are paying the money. Mm-hmm. It's two oh. different groups of people. <laughs> That's right. Right? And That's the, the money the money is outweighing the people who are complaining about it. That's true. So the people who are going to complain are always going to complain, and the people who are spending money are always going to spend well maybe not always but they're they are spending money they're clearly willing to spend money if they consider something to be worth yeah that like the value proposition is there for them like i remember i i played like so much of gears 3 online back in the day my favorite thing to do was to try to do the challenges to unlock different like weapon skins and stuff Mm -hmm. because it was like half i i'm crazy about aesthetics and video games and i will go way out of my way to unlock more aesthetics because i just like to have a fucking collection of different outfits because it just it scratches that itch on my fucking goblin brain that just wants to hoard everything that a game has to offer (laughs) jesus um and half the other half of it was just like bragging rights right like you would show if you had a skin it meant that you did something for it right like there was one there was one skin that i wanted so badly um that was basically just like an ivory skin so like you could have an it was a ivory I think it was for the Nasher and the Lancer. And it was just like mostly white with some black accents for the shotgun and for the like standard assault rifle. Um, and having just like white weapons when everything else in that game is usually like dark or gritty or, you know, blood splattered or, you know, kind of everything is more like a, a gothic kind of um, aesthetic to it in, in those games. Mm-hmm. Um so just having like white weapons was was contrarian, right? So I really liked that. And then there were certain uh, characters as well who kind of had like lighter color armor, so it looked really good matched with them. Anyway, um, but it was one of the hardest fucking things to get because you unlocked skins in that game by getting achievements. Um, same way in in some older Halo games as well, and I, the achievement was if anyone for those who are familiar with how multiplayer modes work in gears of war um there's a game mode called guardian where uh one of the people on your team is the leader and uh you it's basically like a team deathmatch mode but people like teams will just endlessly respawn until the leader is killed and then when the leader's dead everybody only gets whatever life they're on at that point and that's it Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a race to be the first team to kill the other team's leader and then wipe out the other team before your leader gets killed and you all die, basically. So it's a, it's a good game mode. It's a lot of fun. Um, but the achievement was to, as as the leader in a game of Guardian, get 10 kills in a single round. So it wasn't even that you could be the leader multiple times, like in multiple rounds. It was within that one round... You had to get 10 kills <laughs> and it's only teams of 4v4 or 5v5. Maybe it was 5v5, which means bare minimum, you had to have everybody respawn at least once, somebody twice. 
Or no, no sorry. At least everybody at least twice on average, right? That's a lot to ask of the other team's leader to not get killed. So basically mm-hmm. what you have to do is like have a group of people in your party and be like, hey, don't kill the leader yet. I'm trying to get kills. And there were there were just lobbies for people to like that were like joining into lobbies together specifically to get that achievement. They were like, hey, we'll all and all you had to do was get the kill as leader. You didn't have to like get the down. You just had to get the kill. So what they would do is everyone would move as like a single group and everybody would like down everything that came their way and then let the leader pick them off with like a pistol or whatever and get the kill. Um, yep. And I, I, I participated in a couple of those lobbies and every time it came around to my turn being the leader, um, you know, something always went wrong that I didn't get 10 kills. Um, so for years that achievement evaded me. And anytime I saw somebody with white weapons, I was like, Oh fuckers, they've got it. And I don't have it. And years later, I actually finally managed, I booted up that game just for fun. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see if I can do this. And then in like two games of Guardian later, I got it. And the the gratification and the payoff for finally having done that, like legitimately without going into a group of people who, who like were plant, like trying to get that achievement and getting it was like one of my most satisfying like gaming moments ever. It was just so fulfilling, you know, um, and then I've got it now and you, you, you cannot compare that to just spending $6 and getting those skins, <laughs> right? Like you could just do it. Sure. So when, when, you know, um, when John Janisic is saying, you know, you know, it's not the only way to get in-game items, which goes beyond coatings, like a microtransaction store isn't the only way to get them. Um, what that says to me is that, yeah, you can just play the game and and unlock stuff and, you know, there might be a whole thing for you around it. Um, and you might have this like journey of trying to unlock all this stuff, but how does it make you feel with, when you finally unlock all the things you want and then you go into another match and someone else has like the same, the same armor, the same color, the same weapons, the same vehicles as you have. And they're like, oh yeah, I just paid 20 bucks now i've got it yeah like how does that make you feel you know does it make you feel better than them because you were like oh i earned it legitimately and you fucking flex your tiny gamer muscles or you know does it make you be like oh man i wasted so much time of my life you know i only have so many hours on this earth and i just spent 10 of them (laughs) trying to get all this stuff and that guy was smart and just paid twenty bucks, and it took him two minutes. It cheapens it cheapens the uh, it cheapens the experience. Exactly, it, it cheapens the whole damn thing. I was uh, we had, we discussed this on seventy six a bunch where I think you Ryan you said you don't <clears throat> you don't feel like Fallout seventy six is cheaper to you because you don't have Fallout first. The instant I got Fallout first and started putting all my junk into the scrap box, I didn't have to manage it anymore. I had way less stash management. Whereas you guys sit and sit in your stash sometimes 10 10 minutes a night and manager you manage your stuff i don't sometimes like sometimes the whole night is some, managing your stash. sometimes the whole night is managing like some people just get stuck and they can't even do quests because they're so they're so bogged down that's not the case for me i absolutely just don't have that problem and not to like gloat but it's like i'm paying because i know i'm gonna play the game and because i'm not gonna spend time doing that and the thing is though is i feel weird because i'm paying the money <laughs> but I feel better for not managing this thing 
you know what I mean? Not managing the scrap. And as a yeah. result, even though I'm paying for the better experience, arguably, I feel like the, the experience is cheaper. But well, I did thing. feel mm-hmm. cheated when I was the free player. Do you feel, like, justified in your purchase that you don't have to deal with an issue that the game created for itself that could just be patched out? Do you yes, feel justified yes, and, having and, and paying, a subscription, paying a subscription service to solve a problem that they put into the game on purpose to begin with to then just say, oh, we'll fix it, but only if you pay us. Like, that's scummy as shit. That's probably why I feel... Like, I still feel like the game is... Like, I feel like it's less cheap for me, but I still feel like it's cheap. That's probably the reason. Because like, you're, like, you're 100% like right is, there. Is, is why I do not support that game. Is because it could be an enjoyable experience if they gave a shit about the end user experience. But as time has gone on, Bethesda has only continued to prove that they only care about one thing, and it is not the end user experience. They don't even care to finish their games because they know that they're too big to fail. People will buy their games no matter what they do. It's the same with Pokemon. Like, Pokemon just put up the second of the two DLCs for Sword and Shield, which basically consists of just running around and reading a bunch of dialogue and there's very very few actual pokemon battles in the entire dlc what the hell and i i have kept up with it just because i was curious because pokemon sword and shield is the only pokemon game that i have ever finished and then immediately gotten rid of because it just was not fun i i finished it i got the check mark and i was like i'm done with this i'm trading it back in because i'm still gonna get some good money for it and then I watched the DLCs come out, and I was like, yep, I'm super glad I got rid of that game, because it, it was not worth the money to me. Um, Bethesda putting out these games that have these issues that they not only not care enough to resolve, because it will make the end user experience more enjoyable, and will lead to more people playing their game for longer, because they enjoy fucking playing it. It's a weird concept, I know. Um, instead going the complete opposite direction and monetizing the issues with their game in order to offer a more, like, air quotes, premium experience is complete scum and absolute bullshit. But it is smart from a business perspective, but you're right. It cheapens it. Like, it makes the product feel shitty. It makes the product feel like shit. I mean, in fairness, though, I mean, they have done a lot to the game since. They added a whole new campaign um, but think about think about this though, Ryan. And, think about and, this. And two, but, but, wait, but, but they also added two seasons of free content. Now, yes, you had to play the game to get it, but like, that's a lot of stuff they added. But they also were never late releasing a, pay, a monetization method. They sure. they they delayed Wastelanders and instead were like, here's Fallout first. Yeah, that was that was bad. Yes, you know what I mean. And then and then also the same thing of like, here's the seasons. Like the seasons saying, weren't I'm delayed saying, and delayed I think and delayed. They've done equally good and bad things. See the see. This is I think one of the things. It's not equal. <laughs> well, well. See, I'm actually about to touch on that. So it's like it's like here here's the weird thing about about games now. So it's like I always come back to like mercenaries, playground of destruction. Mercenaries is one of those games where you have to manage your money and you can call in like off map stuff. That was the whole thing back then. It's an old game, old original Xbox. If you don't know what I'm talking about, and you had to like unlock 
cool things to call in. And I was a kid, so I thought they were all awesome. Like, bigger tanks, bigger airstrikes. You could call stuff in, but you had to pay for it. So you had to, like, go after targets. And it was just like, that's that's mercenaries, right? Do missions, do all this crazy stuff. And that's how you get money. And then you can call in cool stuff. Like, eventually, you're driving around in sports cars and, like, a war zone and stuff. Like, you know, it's just like a, you know, cra- it's a playground of destruction, quite literally. Um, that's what that game is. And all that stuff you earn. You earn the money. You get to choose. This is a spoiler, but, like, it's an old game. There's a guy at the end of the game called General Song. You get 100, you get 100 million dollars, which is a lot in that game. 100 million dollars for capturing him, but it's easier to kill him. You get 50 mil for that, which is still a lot of money. And it is very difficult to capture him, at least from my like kid memory. And so like that type of stuff and and that goes the same with all the targets. So that game like makes you feel way better for making the money. Like I made 100 mil then the game restarts, new game plus effectively, and I have 100 mil now. I have 100 mil plus all the other money I had. And now I'm just like balling. I'm going into like the missions. I'm killing everybody easily. I'm now a king in this game, right? I earned that status. That game has a has two maps. Like this is a PS2 game, Xbox original game, right? Like this game has two maps, tons of weapons, big, big maps for the time. Like tons of stuff to do in that game. Tons of vehicles, different factions. A whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. All of it you earn. All of it you get through yourself. That's it. Games today are like... Remember that time we gave you like a 10 minute mission that allowed you to like make alcohol? Well, I'd like you to have like play my game every day so you can like play my game every day. And if you can't keep up, just pay. Like here, here's a season. Like remember I gave you that 10 minute thing though? Well, here's, here's like 100 hours worth of stuff to grind at. But I gave you that 10 minute thing i think possibly what i mean that that what you're describing right there is specifically the way that live games work right and live games have been i think they've been a thing um a much larger thing and certainly a more popular thing in countries like to the east longer than they have been countries in the west um it's a very popular thing to have something that you just like grind away at for you know very minuscule advancement um in like asian countries for a long time stuff like that's super popular in china super popular in india japan that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um whereas western games they didn't really adopt that until i would say within the last like 10 years or so um and especially now with live games and games as a service that sort of thing has proven to game companies in the west like holy shit this makes a ton of money if we just like make like force people to have to keep up to have to play or to just pay because either way we win either they've played our game more so they're more invested in it sunken cost fallacy they're more likely to drop money on it because they put so much time into it flip side they've fallen behind they don't want to fall behind but they want to keep playing the game pay to catch up we win either way and from a from a purely business perspective, yes, that's a solid plan because it means that your company makes money. And the whole point of a business at the end of the day is to make money. Everybody knows that. Uh, well, maybe some people don't. But that being said, businesses are supposed to make money. But it's really it's, – it's sad. It makes my heart hurt that it is no longer the rule but the exception that a game company that has heart – and genuinely cares about the product they're putting out, cares about their community, and takes pride in what they've done, that, you know, monetization 
of every little element of their game is not the priority. The priority is for the game to be fun and to be an enjoyable experience, not only for, you know, a first-time player, but potentially people who want to play that game again some at some point. You know, that's a good point, too. Like, I mean, logistics, even with that, live servers, God knows how long they're going to be up. But even, like, without that, the game's, the game's mechanics really honestly revolve around this. And I want to be clear by saying, like, my alcohol example was kind of pulling it from 76, but I kind of made that up. You know, that's kind of a made-up scenario. And, like, but think about the gameplay loop of many of these live games. Like, these live games kind of revolve around that season pass they revolve around that battle pass they revolve around that microtransaction store so there's like a lot of this like a lot like if if the live servers disappear and the game's still single player i mean a chunk of that game a chunk of that game's experience is gone whereas back in the day with microtransactions i remember it was used to always be oh that's a thing that they do on free mmos that you download on your computer and then like you know obviously there's a microtransaction store totally reasonable you know that's a reasonable way to handle it it's gonna make money somehow, yeah. And like even Fortnite is totally reasonable. Unbelievably reasonably priced. Yeah, you gotta play it a bunch, but and there's a rotating store, but it's it's free. <laughs> like you just jump in right now if you wanted. Totally reasonable. But then there's these games where it's like, pay me ninety bucks, pay me a subscription, gotta make and they're not getting this, but it's like, give me the PS plus or whatever. And then it's like also, by the way, like pay me for the in game stuff. Make buy sure the season pass. Every, yeah, buy, buy the season pass or get it for free, but like play every day. You got to stay up to date. Make sure you have it's like Jesus, like what is going on here? Um yeah. Boogie said that like those games are and I'm paraphrasing from memory. Boogie 2988 said one time that he said like those games are like a job, like a chore. It's like you buy especially if you buy the season pass. Buy the season pass, what what are you sitting down and playing? Well, you could sit down and play Ghost of Tsushima, but Ghost of Tsushima is always going to be there. You realistically should finish that season in magic or whatever you're buying you know that type of thing in fallout we're not buying the season pass but it's like i want to finish the season so i have to log in almost every day to ensure that i get it sure you could do the math and say oh i can skip 10 days and that but it's like is that what gaming has come down to like they're like the the corporate the suits if you will are managing the monetization and making sure that every single second of a game is effectively monetized in some way, whether you're literally paying or starting to feel the obligation to pay or whatever. And then like, it's come down to the fact where the consumer has to min max their time where they're like, get the charts out. Okay. I can skip four days. So I got Thanksgiving. I can skip, you know, it's like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Like there's a reason that I stopped playing. Wow. You know, like multiple times too. Because every time that I decide to stop playing WoW, it's I'm it's I'm I wake up one day and I'm like you know doing my daily stuff, and I sit there and like say a, a a day that I have off it's like a weekend, and I sit there and I go, oh I got like stuff to do in WoW and then I can and then I can actually like play the game, and then having that moment of realization is like what am I doing, why am I sitting here trying to budget my time, as if WoW is this job like it's this chore that I have to do before I can play the game, that makes no sense. Why would I waste my time doing that when I'm not enjoying it? Or if I have to overcome some hurdle before I can start to enjoy the game, why wouldn't I just play something that I like to fucking play? And it's if the, and you guys talked about it last week on the podcast, if Blizzard's good at one thing, it's getting people to come back to their games. And it's true. 
I already bought Shadowlands and I, I have to fucking buy my subscription again and buy a month so I can play Shadowlands. Because apparently, according to the articles, WoW is like finally good for a single player <laughs> experience with Shadowlands. A- apparently, according to multiple uh, news outlets. Do they have a and battle you know pass? Sorry, do they have a battle pass in, in WoW now? Mm, no, it's always been subscription. Okay. There's no like season. Well, the only thing that has seasons in WoW is like PvP. But oh, even okay. then, it's it's not as long as it used to be. And that's reasonable, too. That's just a PvP thing. Yeah, it's like a ladder thing. It's standard. I think a lot of games have taken that from MMOs, and maybe specifically WoW. But yeah, it's been a thing for a long time. Yeah, I'll say, like, right. as a closing note, is, like, Fortnite... Like, I, I stopped playing Fortnite regularly when, like, you know, the community kind of died. And I did, like, a bunch of the timed events and stuff like that. And that was, like, a bit of a stressor. And we had to, like, budget time and stuff. But the big thing with Fortnite was the payoff of the win. We started winning. And so the win was always big. It's like, we're going to take down these other 99 people or 100 people or whatever. I'm going to go in there and we're going to win this. And every single time you win, it's like a big victory. It's like, hell yeah, we just beat everybody. Like, to me, it was big. We got better and better and better and better and better at the game to the point was, oh my god, now we're now we're not winning like once every once a week. We're winning once a night. And then one night we won five in a row. And it's like, holy fuck, like we're winning this game. Like, that was the big thing. When the community starts dying down, like our local community of, uh, you know, Fortnite players, I guess. But, like, my friend group of people, like the people in the PlayStation party all, like, die down and, like, they don't want to play anymore. Then I kind of did the same thing. And then I stopped getting into the timed events thing. So that's, like, more of the healthier way to handle it. But I can see how people get hooked, and I do too in other games, based on that timer. Based on that need for a battle pass. It just it just makes me less likely to play a game because it makes me whenever a game is like oh you need to keep up I'm just like nah bro I got a life I got other things to do <laughs> yeah. and if you're if you're gonna sit here and tell me that I need to play the game or um, I'm gonna fall behind all right then I guess I'm falling behind and your game means nothing to me now bye I mean it's probably a it's a, it's a half decent mentality to have like it, it's probably mm. healthier <laughs> they're not necessarily competing over your purchase anymore they're competing over your time exactly. Well, look at Which Halo is- Infinite. Like, Halo Infinite is supposed to be a platform, right? Yeah. Now, we don't know much about Halo Infinite in terms of its platform, whatever. Like, or at least I don't. Um, from that, it's like, what does that mean? Like, are, are we looking at a platform as in, like, hey, guys, like, you know, we really, like, we're going to add, like, we have this online store that's, you know, cha- like, cause, to bring it back to the story, to, we have this online store that's all microtransactions and it's probably all this timed crap or it's all, it's like you better buy the warthog that's red today because it's gonna be gone for how, god knows how long you know you better buy it today because it's only 24 hours uh we assume anyway that that's that's the way it's gonna be or at least that's what i assume and i can see these i can see them also being like oh this is a platform this is a perfect time so the game releases with uh, total making this up 12 missions and then all of a sudden they're like hey guys we released mission 13 today and with it a new battle pass system so you can go back through your missions as master, you know, like well, I could see that <laughs> being a thing. Look at all the awesome shit you can do if you just pay the game for 153 hours over the next three months. Yeah. All right, let's move on here. AMD had a big uh, announcement with their new uh, graphics cards. Now, obviously, uh, NVIDIA just announced their big graphics card updates uh, a couple months ago, I guess. Not too long ago, actually. Not too long ago, anyway. Yeah. So this comes from GameSpot. Uh, this there's gonna be a whole lot of numbers and stuff in here, uh, but let's just get through this. Uh, AMD has revealed its full range of RX 6000 graphics cards, dubbed a Big Navi. Uh, these new GPUs are directly competing with Nvidia's latest RTX 30 series, with the RTX 3070 launching soon. 
AMD's latest range starts with the new RX 6800 XT, a massive card that features 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 memory, 72 compute units, a base clock of 2015 megahertz, and a boost clock of 2250 megahertz. It's also less power hungry than NVIDIA's RTX 3080, requiring only 300 watts, a difference of 20 watts. The RX 6800 keeps the same 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 memory, <clears throat> but drops compute units down to 60 while also reducing base and boost clocks to 1815 megahertz and 2105 megahertz, respectively. Um, apparently, though, so according to NVIDIA, like AMD's uh, benchmarking, they're kind of going head to head with NVIDIA. Now, Matt, you're, uh, you're a bit of an AMD fan from uh, long ago, back when they were also ATI, and they bought ATI, right? Yeah, a- uh, ATI was like a Canadian, as far as I know, Canadian graphics card uh, maker. And uh, then they uh, then they were acquired by AMD. Now, if it's true that they can go toe-to-toe with NVIDIA, this would be two cases now where with their own uh, CPUs, they've kind of bested Intel. And I, I, I kind of figured it was only a matter of time before they started doing the same with their graphics cards. And it looks like we might be at that point. I mean, the thing, the thing with, the thing with graphics cards is like I don't follow graphics cards too too much until I need one. Then I like kind of fill my research up uh, again or like learn and whatever about the latest stuff. But the thing with graphics cards is is like I know I know that there's obviously a power gap and stuff, but like I know someone who has like an uh, a graphic an AMD graphics card that like was quote unquote could not compete with Nvidia still plays AAA games. Right. So we're like we've reached a point in computing where obviously if you're buying one, you know, Nvidia I guess is more bang for your buck in most cases or whatever. Like do your research on your particular situation, but it's sort of like it's exciting to hear that they're fighting because competition's good. Absolutely, like they're starting to fight each other, um, and then that'll be seen when the reviews come out, if the reviews have come out yet or whenever. Uh, however that works, but like it's just to me it's sort of like people are like this is not viable. It's like well. Is it not viable or is it not viable by 10%? Because, like, the latest AAA game may only use 2% of that. You know what I mean? And so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you still got a lot there. You still got a lot of meat on the bone. You know, you're not really in trouble. Um, and clearly not really in trouble because they're releasing cards year over year over year. And they're not giving up. You know what I mean? So that's the one thing to just sort of keep in mind. So that, that that's, like, not to, like, dampen it or anything. But it's like, you know, it's super cool. I want AMD to, like, succeed. And if I build another... Uh, desktop, I'm going to try to make it all AMD. But even if it's slightly underpowered, I'm probably just going to go all AMD anyway because I'm not going to actually be screwed. Yeah, I'm using a friggin' 10-year-old computer here. Like, I think it's 8, but like 8 to 10-year-old computer here. Well, just, just looking at the prices too, so they're saying that the RX 6800 XT is a direct competitor to the RTX 3080 from NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. Um, and just looking at the prices here, it looks like they're coming in $50 cheaper. Which AMD usually, in my experience, does. Like, they are usually a little bit cheaper. Or yeah. a lot cheaper, depending on what it is. Uh, which is nice, to be honest. Um, also, the uh, the RX 6800, which is uh, comparable to a last-generation 2080 Ti, uh, is retailing for 579 So even that's a pretty decent price. The thing is, is if, if they're catching up to NVIDIA, then we're going to see... Um, I mean, unless there's some other... like outside circumstance of which there might be because of buying bots and all that stuff. But, uh, in general, 
what we'll see then is some some true competition. We'll see some graphics card prices come down, maybe. Because they'll start fighting each other. Right. And that that's good. Like, let, let's start Although, the fight. I, I don't know for certain, but I believe the prices of the new AMD CPUs actually went up a bit. Because they're less com- less competed against, I suppose is the way to say that. Because they're, they're kind of on top right now. I'll, I watch a bunch of, like... Um, computer uh, YouTube channels and stuff, and they all make their builds with AMD now. I've rarely seen Intel processor get put into a build anymore. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's what I mean, like... It's, it's pretty nuts, actually. It's like a no-brainer to go Ryzen now type of thing. Although, Hopefully. like, I have a laptop with Intel and NVIDIA, and, like, laptop runs everything really good. This is the thing. We're arguing over, like, the extremes, right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like, if you were given an AMD build, or if, like, for whatever crazy reason... An AMD, like a new AMD graphics card, even from last year, was mm-hmm. like $50 or $100, $150, you know, with a pretty good chance that you would go for it, right? Because you'd be like, well, yeah. I'm not going to, like, again, you're not, you're not screwed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you know, it's not like you're like, man, like, now when I run my benchmarks, I can see that I'm worse. You know, you're not at home, you know, <laughs> running benchmarks all the time. You're literally yeah. using the damn thing. And if it's performing at a good level, then you're like, all right, whatever. And you just move on, you know? Hopefully the, uh, the AMD cards are a little more available than the Nvidia ones have been. I think they're still sold out. They got a something's got a. Is that like Bitcoin miners still? Like last I really checked in on the market, it was Bitcoin miners doing that. Like is that I still felt the like thing? that died down? What what's going on? Like I think they had some manufacturing issues and uh, um something to do with like the third party card manufacturers were getting like their stuff late or something from Nvidia. Oh Christ! Something like that. It's, it's just been a big debacle. Oh. All right, let's move on to our last story for the week. Sony finally unveiled a revamped PlayStation app ahead of the PS5 launch. I guess I'm the only one who can really speak to this. Since I'm, I'm going to check. You know what, Ryan? I'm going to do this live for you. I'm going to check right now. Oh, the Play how Store. exciting. I mean, uh, this comes exciting. from GameSpot. <laughs> uh, the new app is a much-needed redesign of the current version, bringing a native PS Store party chat and an updated user interface into the fold. It also lays the foundation for the upcoming PlayStation 5 features, such as the ability to remotely download games, manage console storage, and boot up uh, the console with your smartphone. Uh, it also incorporates functionality that was previously hosted by a separate PlayStation messaging app. So now you'll be able to receive all your messages in the same app like it used to be when it first launched, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was all together. so long ago, though. So I'll just talk about one of my favorite things with the new app. It's probably the store. So if you remember in the old app, the store kind of was like it loaded a web browser, basically. You mean in the app that I have, Ryan? Because it doesn't, it didn't update. <laughs> okay. So I'm looking at the old app right here. And the app Matt has, the, uh, the, the store basically loaded like a web browser and you had a very clunky store experience. Here, it's like the store is just built into the app itself. Oh, thank Christ. You don't, when you click on a game, it doesn't bring up like a web browser. You just, you bring up a, um, a page that's like fits the design of the app. And from there, you can download to your console, you can purchase, you can pre-order, all that stuff. Uh, messaging is pretty simple. That's always like easy to access. It's always on like the top bar. You can see who's online and stuff. Um, now, I had a question for you, Matt, or I mm-hmm. guess both of you, since you're both Android users. When you click into something on this app, the back button is on the bottom left. Mm-hmm. For an iOS user, that's very confusing. Because most of our back buttons are on the top left in almost every other app designed with like an iOS, you know, style mm-hmm. guide. 
I mean, I, I know no. some people on Android that have their back button on the bottom right. I think like um, that makes no sense. Samsung. Samsung by default does. By yeah. default does that. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've always had bottom left. I mean, is I that because they're Korean though? Maybe. Maybe. I think I, um, LG might do it too. That might be a good piece of evidence. Although I'm not sure if that's true. LG's bottom left. They're bottom my, left by default. Don't they? My last three phones have been LG. Yeah, they're all bottom left. Damn. You can change it. Like oh, Android yeah. is obviously you can you can rearrange your home menu. You get it back in the middle if you wanted to. Literally, first thing I do is change the le- the back to left <laughs> on my Samsungs. So yeah, but that's uh, yeah that's always how my phones have been. BlackBerry was like that, and uh, LG. Um, so I, I think this is a greatly improved uh, app. Also, it just bugs I think- me. <laughs> oh, just really quick, it just bugs me that the PlayStation app, the PlayStation had an app, and then they took a bunch of features out of that app and made them separate apps, and now they're putting them all back into a single app again. <laughs> yeah, like, like, pick one. Well, like, there's obviously some reason for doing it, right? Like, I don't yeah. know if it's like a licensing issue or what it is, but it's just, it's stupid. It's so bad for the end user experience. I wonder if maybe if you're searching for like let's say messages, PlayStation Messages app, you could just search that and that shows up. But have a separate app. I would agree app. with a separate app, but have them also together though. Like why do you agree with a separate app? No, no, so I agree with this. So I would agree with PlayStation the the way the way it was before, PlayStation 4. If people are using PlayStation Messages, like a messaging client. Like if they're like, this is how I talk to my friends. I don't know if, I don't know anyone who does that, but maybe that's how they do it. Or if they have like a big online community and that's how they talk to them. I agree with a PS messages separate app. I do not agree with it being only separate. So I agree with it being something like you download the PlayStation app and then you have PS messages as well. And then what you do is like by default, like by default, if one's installed, then the other one just sort of shuts its messaging off. That makes sense because it's like Facebook kind of where like Facebook, you can go to on the PC messenger.com or you can just go to Facebook and have messenger in there. So it's like you kind of have both experiences where you only use Facebook for talking or you only use Facebook for or you use Facebook for both type of thing. That that I can see, but I, I disagree with them taking it out of one. That's dumb. So silly. Uh, the Xbox app also got updated, so oh, both apps are very nice now. They feel very modern. Speak Although, for yourself, Ryan. Speak for your damn self. Matt, can you boot up the Xbox app? Yeah, the Xbox app is gorgeous. Yeah, uh, but just <laughs> like like just boot it up because the little Xbox logo lags for me. <laughs> like a first boot up. Yeah. Oh, that's so embarrassing. It doesn't do it for I me. Wanna... No, it's it's a nice clean animation. Yeah. Maybe it's, no, mine's... it's on an Apple device. Oh, here we go. They, no, they, I, I, they mean would... that, I mean that legitimately, though. Like, maybe it's something that Microsoft is like, ah, we're not optimized for Apple. <laughs> I'm sure they've likely built it for iOS as well, though. It's just, know. it's weird that it's laggy. It's not the majority of the market. It is in the West. Is that true? Well, if you're counting <laughs> handset. What? If you, if you count iPhones to any other single... Handset. Yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking mobile. But iOS devices, yeah. or like OS, I mean, it's not. I got a question for your PlayStation app, Ryan. Do yeah. you and can you see your captures? Oh. Maybe that'll um, be on PS5 only, though. If that's even going to be a thing. Hang on. Here we go. 
Can you? Woo. Live on the uh, the podcast, my PlayStation app is frozen. <laughs> what do you mean? This podcast is always live. No, my, my the PlayStation app froze. So there goes... All right, so no captures because it's frozen on whatever screen it was frozen on. No, I don't see anywhere to view captures. PlayStation ah. stock options just tanked just right now. Because the, the Xbox, like, I know this is probably like a small niche thing, but still. So it's like if I make, if I if something ridiculous happens to me, and, I've, and I've, I've done this a few times. Something ridiculous happens to me, I hit the record button. I do that all the time. But the, the other part is, like, I want to share it, but it's a pain in the ass. Like, with... With Xbox, it's it's easier. Like there was the apps and stuff like that earlier. But with this new redesigned one, um, it's like super quick to get to. So there's like one, two, three, four, five options on the bottom. One of them is captures. Click that. My captures, and you can even click on like consoles or whatever. I think this is actually called my library or something. Anyway, this like little screen that I clicked on. But anyway, I can click on this video of this like ridiculous. I think I sent you guys it. The ridiculous GTA like, incident I had happen to me the other day. Oh, I literally yeah, clicked yeah. it, click share. It literally downloads, downloads it to my device, sends it to you, done. So anyone who's like big on social media and wants to really post their screenshots and like their photo, whatever, that is like bar none. Like that is really well done. Like that's 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 really well done. PlayStation, I mean, we don't know how the PS5 yet, but plug in a USB stick. Antiquated garbage. Sorry guys, but that's <laughs> fucking good. That, that's fucking bullshit. Like come on guys. You're, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's not good. Like you can share it to a service. Like I, I will give them that. I let, I share from Twitter to share to Twitter sometimes from my PlayStation. Totally, re- totally reasonable. But like, why can't I just take the file? Like, I sometimes I just need the file. Like, come on, guys. For maybe USB they don't have sticks. The, maybe they don't have the cloud infrastructure to. Don't to really don't cloud. don't spin it up. Add a OneDrive link in there. Do a Dropbox. That's what my, <laughs> that's what Microsoft had for a long time, and I think yeah. still has. Microsoft has like like a bunch of ways to get your stuff off of the console. But the the Xbox One does that happen in the background? Like like your, your capture will just upload and be available in the app. So how it works is this? How it works is this? You take a screenshot. Like let's say let's say we're playing a game. I do really well. Mm-hmm. I take a screenshot of the scoreboard. Scoreboard's there. So like now it will appear on. It'll upload it to. So it's on my console. It'll upload it to Xbox Live. That's what it says, and it'll let you know this has been ex- uploaded to Xbox Live. You can then access it on your apps so and for a while too not just with this new app you can access it on the pc with the app you can go into like my captures or whatever you can go into whatever and it's also on your like sort of timeline like you have like an xbox sort of social media dashboard and it'll like show all of those uh and you can people can go in and like like them or you know comment on them or whatever they can do on there and that that's great but you can go into an app called uh, I haven't done this in a while, but like when I did it, it was I went into upload studio, select the clip. I'm allowed to edit it if I want, but if I don't want to, I can go and say upload to Xbox and it will re-upload it to Xbox if, if I want. Or alternatively, um, or maybe Xbox is always checked by default, I don't remember, but there's a OneDrive option in there. Click OneDrive and it just uploads it. So now it's wherever my OneDrive is. So there's been times where like I need a clip because I'm like, you know, reporting somebody or like whatever. Like I've had a couple things where like someone's clearly hacking and I'm like, the hell with this. Save a clip, upload it to one to OneDrive in case I have to email this in, and then that's it. Like, like that's that is. I'm sorry, but that is how like capture should be. You should yeah, in in 2020. Really nice. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but in 2020, never tell anyone to go get a USB drive. That's the most <laughs> ridiculous. Like, come on. Like, I don't even know where I have one here. I just found one. I didn't even know it was here. <laughs> Man, I have so many USBs. So USB USB sticks. Yeah, yeah. All mine are gone. Like, I don't use them. I've just they're literally sunk into obscurity. Every time I've transferred a clip from my PlayStation 
to like PC for you know uploading to social media or editing or whatever, it's always USB stick. Christ, see, wouldn't it be easier to just have it so it like uploads to your Dropbox? Probably. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> I feel like it's well my. My situation is specific, though, because, like, it's it's special because the vast majority of people who are trying to keep media on a game console and possibly share that media are not the same people who want to, like, edit it specifically. Mm. Like, maybe trimming. And, like, maybe, depending on the console, like, there may be a very, very basic, like, intro, outro, filter you know, fucking whatever, picture in picture, maybe like a super rudimentary basic editing stuff. Right. Um, there may be, that may be stock in the, in the consoles, like editing features, or it may be, um, a separate app that you can download on your Xbox or PlayStation or whatever, but it's not, it's not the vast majority of people that are going to use that. It's, it's definitely the minority. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're obviously not going to have a mainstream application for that sort of thing. When, you know, probably less than 5% of the user base is taking advantage of it. They're going to have their, you know, upload to Twitter fucking feature, and, and that's going to be it. Like, I'm pretty sure sharing, some, like, a file on the Switch is either to Twitter or Facebook, and that's it. And I never thought of the accounts, Switch. But... That's a good question. Can you do it to USB stick on Switch or no? Um, micro, micro SD card. You can save oh captures to micro SD card. Oh, for Christ's sake. Because I have my new Switch, because I had my original launch day one, right? And then I replaced it with the Animal Crossing version. Yeah. And I, I have a micro SD card sitting on my entertainment unit out in the living room right now that has all of my old stuff from my original Switch on it that is not on my current Switch. Because, because for whatever fucking reason, Nintendo did this, and not to get into a huge thing, but like, um, when you put a an SD card into a new switch like a different um, unit mm-hmm. it says this card has to be formatted to oh, be right. used with this system which makes no sense like it should just be able to read what's on the card the same way that it would if it was the same fucking card that you first originally put into it um, and I just haven't gotten around to taking the stuff off the old card yet to put into my new my new switch but sorry I don't know if you said this already but like can you take that card obviously not into another switch but like can you take that card and put it into a computer? Like, is it in a format that the computer can read so you could take your captures off? Like, is that, will that work? I would assume so. I don't know. That's what I was going to do. I just haven't gotten around to it. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. That's all the time we got for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for joining us, Tim. You can find him at twitch.tv slash yeah, that figures. Yeah, you can. Doing the good streams. Yeah, they're all right. Doing the, the Dwagon Age. Dwe- the Dragon Age? Dragon Age being, 2. Are you being the Dragon Age? <laughs> yes. This is like the fucking, like, are you winning, son meme. That's like the just... requirement. When you play Dragon Age, you must okay. be the Dragon Age. You must age the dragon. No. You, must you are the Dragon, dragon Age. Age. Dragon's dogma. <laughs> Whatever the hell that know, means. Do you know what a dogma is? No idea. It's like a, it's like a credo. It's like a... That also doesn't help me. <laughs> it's like a creed. It's oh. like a way of. It's like a. It's like a way of life. It's a. An assassin's a, 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 creed. A rule. A rule set. A principle. Was, a principle. Ah, a, here we go. A, a, a samurai code. A guideline. Oh, when it was so guideline. be the dragon age and live by the dragon's dogma. 
And what we'll are we guys, talking about right we'll now? We'll see you guys next week. That was word soup if I ever freaking heard it. Now I'm hungry. Peace!